This is JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with Joseph Hollins, the former State Apprenticeship Director of Louisiana. We will talk to State Apprenticeship Directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start a registered apprenticeship program in your community. Today, we go to Wisconsin with the State Apprenticeship Director, Josh Johnson. Josh, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you, Joseph, and and thank you for having me. Great. It's a pleasure to reconnect with you once again. Um, Josh, can you tell us what agency uh, the Office of Apprenticeship in Wisconsin is a part of and kind of what is you all's structure and some of your staff roles? Uh, Definitely. Uh, So the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards uh, is the office in Wisconsin uh, that is the the state-approving agency for registered apprenticeship in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and we are a part of the Department of Workforce Development, which is an agency here in Wisconsin that has um, the Division of Employment and Training, Unemployment Insurance, Workers' Comp, uh, DVR, uh, and Equal Rights as a part of it. And our structure here, honestly, has been going, is, is starting to go through a little bit of a facelift. Um, as I became the director uh, in December of 2019, and some of that, what we're looking at is um, the, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards is, is known as, or is going to be known as Wisconsin Apprenticeship. Uh, there's three aspects of it. There's youth apprenticeship, there is certified free apprenticeship, and there is registered apprenticeship. And as a part of all those, um, there are 30 staff, including myself, across the state um, that, are, uh, that work for Wisconsin Apprenticeship. And the, the the structure that we have uh, that really suits Wisconsin very well, um, we have, of those 30, um, half are field reps or apprenticeship trainee representatives for the registered apprenticeship side, and they're separated by counties across the state. They cover uh, specific counties or districts. Um, and then the youth apprenticeship staff are more so uh, the regulatory arm where they work with the uh, 37 consortia, the YA consortia, which are made up of school districts across the state. And then you have the office staff who uh, mostly are either grant managers or program policy analysts who uh, work on specified things or specified subjects, um, uh, subject areas that they are, um, that they were hired into, such as IT, AEEO compliance, and things of those nature. I know I talked to a couple of the other directors that we've had the pleasure of speaking with and we were talking about how, you know, most apprenticeship offices have a director and they have an ATR, but you know, those were the two traditional positions. But now as apprenticeship has grown, you've start to see some of these new positions such as grant managers and uh, specialists to particular sectors and uh, outreach specialists. And so uh, I definitely think that, your state with a staff of 30 uh, has had the opportunity to do some of those things that many states are looking at uh, doing. And so with that being said, in addition to revamping your staff a little bit, what are some of the other recent highlights uh, for registered apprenticeship in your state, whether it be growth or new industries or our new partners? One thing that we've really prided, we've really held a lot of pride in here in the state of Wisconsin, uh, obviously being we were the first 
states in the country to have registered apprenticeship going back to 1911. We really pride ourselves on our tradition and how strong our tradition is. Um, and that tradition is when we when we look at the tradition, we um, I am only the sixth state director for apprenticeships since 1911, and I replaced um, Karen Morgan, who was the state director for nearly 30 years. So that tradition is very rich here. One thing that we've looked at uh, once I became the director in December is to look at innovation. We want to build upon the strong tradition that uh, has been laid since 1911, and we want to move forward with some innovation and look to see how we can continue to grow uh, with the country and with the world when it comes to registered apprenticeship. One of those innovation actually is is part of the staffing uh, that I didn't get into do de- too much detail about, but due to one of the grants, one of the apprenticeship state expansion grants, I was able to hire three apprenticeship navigators. And those navigators are focused solely on working with uh, WIOA eligible youth, WIOA eligible clientele in general, community-based organizations, church groups, uh, certified pre-apprenticeship completers, ex-offenders, anyone and everyone as part of the workforce community as a participant, the uh, registered apprenticeship navigators will work with to get them connected to the apprenticeship community. Uh, This is a huge part of innovation for us because with the the director, obviously, and then, you know, the mid-management, and then those field staff, there really isn't anyone who really has a hand on assisting applicants to navigate the process of registered apprenticeship. And what we've noticed, especially in some of our more urban areas or even rural areas, where unless you know somebody who was an apprentice or a journey worker, you really have not been properly educated about how to become an apprentice. So the navigators, their main role is to connect those dots for the individuals who want to learn about apprenticeship and even a step further to seek out those individuals who potentially could benefit greatly from a family-sustaining career uh, in a registered apprenticeship occupation. So that's one area where we've, uh, one highlight that we've had, and they started uh, early March this year. Uh, Obviously, with the pandemic going on, they have not been able to get out and work to their full extent, but it has been a benefit because we are uh, training them and they're learning a lot about apprenticeships so that they can be those touch points for individuals in the community uh, who want to become apprentices. Also, some of our highlights, we are fastly approaching the highest number of apprentices we've ever had in the state. Uh, That was 15,767, and that was in 2001. Currently, we're right, we're just shy of 15,000 apprentices. And that's with a little over a thousand employers and then a thousand sponsors, I'm sorry, and then over 2,800 employers that have apprentices. Some areas we've shown some growth. We looked at one of the biggest growth that we had is a new program that we launched two, well, it was about three years ago when it finally took off the ground was for Arborist. Apprentice. We, Wisconsin was the first in the nation with an Arborist apprenticeship. And the graduates, uh, there will be four graduates this year who will be graduating from the apprenticeship program um, for, to, from Arborist. Um, and now we saw the most growth in that program as well, as we're right around 50 active apprentices currently in the Arborist trade in three years. So that has given us a lot of promise here in Wisconsin to show that we have 
more information uh, towards helping these new sectors or even just new occupational areas that want to create apprenticeship opportunities. The arborists are a very, very good um, example of what can happen when industry and government work together and, and push the program um, as hard as we possibly could to bring out something that is very versatile and it meets industry's demands and the expediency with, with, with what industry wants to move people through uh, the apprenticeship program. One of the highlights that we've had uh, is definitely our famed youth apprenticeship program. We are the first state in the nation to have an actual registered youth apprenticeship program since 1991. Currently, we have over 5,500 registered youth apprentices. That is one of our strongest areas for youth employment here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, when we look at these, um, we look at the workforce programs that exist. We've put a huge focus on bridging as many of those youth who are youth apprentices, registered youth apprentices, into registered apprenticeships. One of the challenges that we face is many of the occupations that were created for youth apprenticeships were created under the guise that youth apprenticeship here in the state of Wisconsin is for career exploration. And we finally looked at how we can make it intentional for those youth who want to do more than career exploration, but actually want to start their career while in high school and start paths to that career. So we're intentionally uh, redoing the curriculum within youth apprenticeships uh, that they would participate in during high school. And we are matching it up with the registered apprenticeship curriculum that already exists uh, to make sure that there's a seamless transition. More importantly, to make sure that we can give them uh, advanced standing and credit for the related instruction as well as the on-the-job learning that they participated in. We've seen this highly successful in many areas, manufacturing being one, construction is slowly coming along, and we see, we see this as an opportunity for those new sectors, such as healthcare and IT, to really look at how we can use what they're learning to bridge them into these occupations. I will also say, when we look at youth apprenticeships, one of the best things about it is going to force registered apprenticeships to really look at the numbers that they have and to create registered apprenticeship programs for those youth in those youth apprenticeship programs that are very highly successful or that they have a lot of participants in. All of that sounds really uh, great, Josh, and uh, y'all definitely have some innovative things going on. But one of the things that you, you talked about was this innovation and you all having youth apprenticeship and uh, you all having the first arborist program in the country. And so what, what we've seen uh, in the country is that it used to be just joint or non-joint, right? Our, our union or non-union apprenticeship. And now it's, it's not that you have intermediaries, you have community colleges as sponsors, training providers who seek to be sponsors. And so with all those different uh, entities seeking to be sponsors, what is the first thing someone interested in creating a registered apprenticeship program should do in Wisconsin? And does it differ based on what kind of sponsor they're trying to be? Uh, fantastic question, Joseph. Here, here in Wisconsin, if a business decides that they are interested in a registered apprenticeship, 
on our website, we have the contact information for the apprenticeship training representative that is that services their county. The first thing they can do is reach out to that apprenticeship training representative, start to have conversations about their interests. Um, and, and we've trained all of our staff, our, our field staff, those apprenticeship training representatives, uh, with the consultative skills training. And we really go in and their their job, their number one job, when they do outreach with an employer or are contacted by an employer, is to really identify what that employer's workforce needs are. Not so much as talking to them and trying to sell them into registered apprenticeships, but really starting to identify what their workforce needs are. We do that with, obviously, within the back of our mind, knowing that apprenticeships uh, can solve many of those workforce needs, but we really want to get a clear picture of what the business needs uh, that we may be able to provide, whether it's through registered apprenticeships uh, and or in partnership with some of our other agencies or um, community-based organizations uh, that provide supportive services. So when they contact one of those APRs, their expectation is to have that meeting, to have that discussion, come out of that discussion with some next steps of moving forward. Typically, the APR may share with them um, an Exhibit A, which is the training outline of a specific occupation that the company may be interested in. Uh, they may share the state committee standards which here in Wisconsin, for every occupation, they belong to a state committee. And that state committee dictates the minimum standards for how those occupations operate uh, as it comes to on-the-job learning, related instruction, uh, so on and so forth. So the idea where once they contact those APRs to have those conversations, uh, that process in and of itself, uh, it can be done in as fast as a week or it can be done in a year. What we focus on with them uh, working with those potential sponsors is really allowing industry to dictate how fast they want to get it built and how fast they want to you know, get it going. For us, our job is to make sure we have all the pertinent information ready so that when the industry responds and the employer says, hey, okay, we're ready to pull the trigger, let's, let's do this, let's move forward, that the ATRs have everything lined up to make sure it happens as fast as possible. Uh, one thing we have noticed, Wisconsin, we, we've not had the complaints from industry that it takes too long for us to get a program registered here. It, it truly can take, I mean, I've seen programs get registered in less than a week when I was a field rep myself. Uh, it really depends on how fast the employer uh, is ready to go. Sometimes employers have been reading about it, studying it, and they have an apprentice in mind, and all they need is the framework or the program. So here, when we look at that that process, um, that is probably the number one way that businesses get connected to us. Uh, some businesses get connected to us out of the advisory committees that may belong to the uh, Wisconsin Technical College System. Each technical college has advisory committees for their uh, areas, their occupational areas. And some of those spots or some of those employers find out about apprenticeship and want to seek more information. We've also heard information from some of our community-based organizations or our certified pre-apprenticeship programs who uh, they partner with certain businesses who are interested in becoming apprenticeship sponsors. But the number one way is if we're contacted, somebody at the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards is contacted about a program, we direct them out to that um, respective APR in their district. 
it's interesting. You said that it could take as short as a week, and that is record time from what I've heard. And so you you talked about how an uh, employer or an intermediary, whomever is seeking to be the sponsor, would get in contact with the ATR, and the ATR would help them through the standards process. And so from from start to finish, I kind of what does that registration process look like? And then I also have a question of, is your apprenticeship council regulatory or is your apprenticeship council advisory? And what have you done as a director to streamline this registration process? So I will answer uh, the about the advisory council first. They are, um, as, as I just said, they are advisory. So they are uh, the highest ranking um, uh, body that uh, advises the office of the director uh, that advises me on apprenticeship matters. What we've done, I'm going to start you with the process of how we've integrated the council into everything that is a part of what we do. And as the council, we have the, we have the co-chairs who really, you know, when we really look at the apprenticeship model here in Wisconsin, we've had a council that has been made up of very standard construction, manufacturing, and utilities. We've had that that council has been made up of that. We we visited the idea recently of expanding that council or at least expanding some of the consultants who may not serve on the council to encompass some of our other sectors, such as financial services, healthcare, and IT, so that we really can focus on representing all of Wisconsin apprenticeships. And the council is, is, is made up of uh, nine members who are employer representatives nine who are employee representatives and they they are appointed by the secretary of DWD, Department of Workforce Development. We have one representative from the Department of Public Instruction uh, who is appointed by the state superintendent of public instruction, which is the school system. We have one representative from the Wisconsin Technical College System uh, who is appointed by the, uh, the Wisconsin Technical College System director. Then we have two members who represent public interest appointed by DDA, by the DWD secretary. Uh, typically, those are um, are either a CBO or a workforce development board. And then uh, myself as the director, I serve as the non-voting chair of the council. And the council's really role in everything is really keeping the bureau pointed in the right direction as it pertains to apprenticeship within Wisconsin as well as around the world. They really want to keep us focused on what we what we aim to do, some of the goals that we lay out. They help strategize with those goals. Uh, they also become you know, one of the most important bodies in apprenticeship because they're able to see things from their own viewpoint as a, as a council member, but then also in their respective uh, fields, their occupational sectors. The council does approval of many different things. One of the main things they do approval of uh, right now is the certified free apprenticeship program. Everyone who wants to have a certified free apprenticeship program, they complete an application, and that application comes before the council that meets quarterly, and that application gets approved by the council, and then now they are certified to have a free apprenticeship program in our state. So the council really plays an integral role in guiding uh, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards down the path of registered apprenticeship as well as youth apprenticeship and um, certified free apprenticeship. The process for an employer 
who wants to apply to become a registered apprenticeship sponsor, that timeline, it really is after that meeting, uh, there is, they will need to look at an Exhibit A. They will have to either adopt the state Exhibit A that outlines the training that is required, or they will tweak it a little bit to say, well, we do this a little bit more, or we do this a little bit less. One thing they have to look at that is that really takes the time, honesty of industry, is our progressive wage scale here in Wisconsin. The wage of an apprentice must average 60% over the lifespan of the apprentice contract. So it cannot drop below 60% of what the skilled wage rate is for that, um, that occupation. That typically takes the businesses a little bit longer, obviously, whether they're union or non-union um, outside of construction. There may be a collective bargaining agreement or they may be a strategy that their HR department uses to determine wages. So that typically is what takes a little bit longer on the employer side. On the, the apprenticeship standard side, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards, once we have that progressive wage scale, we create that Exhibit A, get it approved by the field supervisor. All of that is done electronically. So once that's submitted, the field supervisor approves them daily. Now they can build a set of standards for that apprenticeship program at that sponsor. And those, those standards are very boilerplate language. There are maybe five spaces that allow you to add any information in. And it really is talking about how you recruit, uh, what your minimum qualifications are, uh, those such things, your selection procedures. The, the apprenticeship training reps fill that information out. They submit those standards electronically. And those come to me as the director to approve. I approve those on a, a weekly basis uh, unless there's a, someone who gets in there and they're like, hey, they want to get started right away. I go in, approve it. Uh, and typically, we allow the programs to start once they have an approved Exhibit A. Uh, the standards, because they are so boilerplate, if a business wants to start before their standards are approved, we typically allow that to happen. Information gets back out to the sponsor. And now they are good to go to, to start to recruit and hire apprentices into their program. One of the best things I think we've done in the past two years is that we've made that registration process for the apprentices all online. So when a contract is created, say a business decides to put an apprentice on, they have to submit an apprentice contract or apprentice application as well as a sponsor application. That all gets submitted through a system called BASERS. Uh, what that stands for is Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards Electronic Registration System. That is tied directly to their apprenticeship training representative. They receive a notification that there's a contract in there to be built. The, the ATR builds that contract, shoots it back out through BASERS with a link for the sponsor as well as the apprentice to do a digital signature once they do that dig digital signature, they hit submit, it comes back, creates a contract uh, within our database, and we print that contract out. So when we talk about, as I said, things can take a week or up to a year, we really have a lot of flexibility in how fast we can create apprenticeship programs as well as how fast we register apprentices. Uh, with that is one thing I think that Wisconsin uh, we, we definitely pat ourselves on the back with how fast we, we, we try to create that turnaround for employers. Yeah, and I think that all those are, are really good things. But 
as you mentioned, it could take a week or it could take a year. And so there's some variable in there. And so with that in mind, what part of the registration process would turn it from a week to a year? And, and how can potential programs plan for that? Here in Wisconsin, I really believe the one part of it, that process that makes it uh, extend longer, is the wage progression. That is a challenge for most businesses, just especially if they are new to apprenticeships, new to training individuals through a structured training program. It's really hard for them to wrap their mind around having to pay this person a stated progressive wage scale throughout their apprenticeship. That becomes, in my opinion, the hang-up for many employers here in the state of Wisconsin. For some, they're used to it. They have an idea already how they want to do it, and they just roll with it and keep it moving. But for others, then we have to do research. You know, the ATR has to do some, some LMI research for the area, look at what some numbers are uh, to give them what a skilled wage rate is. Uh, you know, some of the challenges some of our employers face, I think, when I, when I was a field rep, you know, four years ago, you know, the, the employers, they don't know what their competitors are paying outside of what they've heard. So it's our job is, as the, the, uh, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards to help them understand what that skilled wage rate is in their area. And that helps them start to have a conversation about wage. So that, to me, is the number one thing that slows up uh, the process for an employer here in the state of Wisconsin. Um, unfortunately, I don't have anything on the bureau side uh, that slows it up because our processes are really streamlined and automated to make things go as fast as possible. I definitely think that there is sometimes employers, even just psychologically, uh, can get stuck on, well, I have to give them a wage increase. And it's it's definitely tough to get them to understand that you're giving them a wage increase because they're increasing their skills, right? And so you mentioned briefly, Josh, about youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship and how you all have youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship. And so could you talk to me a little bit about what's the difference in Wisconsin in between youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship? Definitely. Thank you, Joseph. So I'll start with the Certified Pre-Apprenticeship Program. The Certified Pre-Apprenticeship Program was designed and uh, it started in 2015 um, with one of our uh, American Apprenticeship Initiative grants, which we worked with a lot of the workforce development boards to create these short-term um, training programs to get individuals qualified and trained up fast to get connected to our apprenticeship sponsors. The key in there is short-term. Uh, most, I think the average uh, certified pre-apprenticeship program is between six to 10 weeks. So it's a very short amount of time getting them the basic skills they need to apply or qualify for a job in a certain occupational sector. And then also trying to get them the supportive services they may need to, uh, to support them once they do get into an apprenticeship. So those programs really are just designed to get people through the door fast, get them trained and get them connected. Youth apprenticeship is much different. Although, on a national level, USDOL recognizes anything that is not registered apprenticeship as, um, as, as pre-apprenticeship. And we accept that here in Wisconsin, but the delineation becomes here we actually have a registered youth apprenticeship program, 
where these youth, uh, starting their junior year, they sign an agreement and they are registered with the state of Wisconsin as a youth apprentice. And their program is either 900 hours uh, if they start in their junior year or 450 hours if they start in their senior year. And this program has a checklist uh, where they're checking off these competencies that they're filling. They're going through this process of career exploration. So these, the cluster that they're involved in um, has that checklist that really is helping them decide which direction they want to go when they graduate from high school. So the difference between them is, is really clear in certified pre-apprenticeship is really a short-term training option to get people upskilled very fast, to get them connected to an industry. Youth apprenticeship is registered with the state. It is built for a one- or two-year program as career exploration. But one of the great things we've made available to youth apprenticeship programs here in the state as well, they can also complete paperwork and submit to the council to become a certified pre-apprenticeship program as well. So then we start to look at the dual credentials and what they really mean. You know, the dual credential of you completed your youth apprenticeship when you graduated high school, you completed it, then you also completed a certified pre-apprenticeship so that we can even further take you down that pathway of with the connection to registered apprenticeship. So that's really the two main differences between them, one being a short-term program, the other being an actual registered program that is getting youth prepared for the workforce. And so with your youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship, um, have you worked with any of the school districts to get, you know, youth apprenticeship or pre-apprenticeship in high schools in all the high schools in a particular district? Uh, and if so, what are some of the occupations that you've been able to get into high schools through working with the school district? So there's the 37 consortia across the state of Wisconsin. They are the ones who really work with the YA coordinators uh, within the high schools or in the school districts to really push youth apprenticeship forward. Um, right now, we currently have, uh, as I stated, just over 5,500 youth apprentices across the state of Wisconsin uh, in uh, cluster areas such as uh, transition, uh, tra- transportation, distribution, and logistics. Um, manufacturing, health science, which is our number one. Uh, with currently, we have around a thousand, thousand uh, youth apprentices in there. All the way down to we have them in ag. Obviously, being a dairy state, a very ag focused state, we have a very high number amount in there. Uh, and then even some of our smaller ones, when we look at the um, STEM, we have you know a little over a hundred apprentices in that area uh, for youth apprenticeship. So getting youth apprenticeship into the high schools does not become a gigantic challenge. What we face is the opportunity for those school districts and the consortia to be able to connect those youth to a registered apprenticeship occupation on the, upon their completion of their youth apprenticeship program. That has been, in my opinion, the number one failure that we've had over, well, since Youth Apprenticeship was born in 1991 here in Wisconsin, is that registered apprenticeship did not take a hold of it and really utilize it for what it's there and what its purpose is, which is to create a very strong and talented pipeline into registered apprenticeship. So we've done a lot of work with me being the director and moving into the director role now. Um, And some of the, the innovation that we are looking at 
we really are taking a look at how we strengthen that. And that, a lot of that started even when Karen Morgan was still around uh, as the director, where we started to do the uh, modernization of curriculum to start to match it up. But really starting to see how we utilize that as a very strong talent pipeline um, into registered apprenticeship here in the state of Wisconsin. Most, most uh, school districts, they jump on board. It's a great opportunity. But I'm looking forward to providing them with even additional benefits from it, whereas we are truly going to help their students who maybe decide they don't want to go to a traditional four-year college, and they are interested in getting started in their career right away after high school. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask about is, you know, a lot of times when you talk about pre-apprenticeship, you're speaking about a program that has a connection to a registered program. And you mentioned, you mentioned briefly about uh, the issues that uh, you all have encountered with youth apprenticeship in your state and making sure that those youth apprentices have that connection to uh, a registered program. How do you recommend or, or what are some of the ways that you've been working to make sure that that pre-apprenticeship or that youth apprenticeship has the connection to uh, a registered apprenticeship program, and what do you see your office's role in in building those connection, or is it all on the employer or all on the the youth program? So I'm gonna I'm gonna start from the end of your question and move back. I I firmly believe it is my office's role to make those connections, to make those connections visible, and more importantly, to make those connections possible. Uh, the apprenticeship training representative staff, part of their yearly goals are to work with the uh, YA, the Youth Apprenticeship Consortia, in their district to help with bridging youth into registered apprenticeship. Typically, what we found, one of the challenges we found, which was shocking, but there are many employers who train youth apprentices but do not train registered apprentices, and vice versa. So what happens, you know, in the instance of a youth apprentice who's working at this company, enjoys it, loves it, wants sees a future here, there's not a registered program at that company. So we, we enlist those apprenticeship training representatives to go out and meet with that company, have a conversation about building a registered apprenticeship program, showing how this youth can bridge into that program and continue to stay with the company. Many companies are on board and they're like, great, this is a good opportunity. There are some other companies who just aren't interested in that structure or that involvement from the government side of uh, registered apprenticeship, and they they would rather say, you know, way well, it's been great having you know the the youth working here. Uh, we'll support them if they want to find an employer somewhere else, uh, but we we don't have the capacity or interest in building a registered apprenticeship program here. And I think the number one reason for some of that is when you're employing youth. If you think about when we were younger, you know, we worked at small businesses, right? Maybe some mom and pop type shops. We didn't work at these gigantic international businesses. Uh, that have this structure built for training. We worked at uh, the neighborhood store or the neighborhood restaurant or the neighborhood manufacturer. And all of those businesses just don't have the capacity to create a registered apprenticeship program. So for my office, that is one of the things that I push as, as a premium that we celebrate when those youth bridge into a registered apprenticeship program. And if a youth is graduating and they're finishing their youth apprenticeship program at a company that doesn't offer registered apprenticeship nor is interested in creating a registered apprenticeship program, 
then the ATR's number one goal is to find a company within their district that wants to take this youth on as a registered apprentice. We've had some great success uh, in a few areas here in the state of Wisconsin where the ATR has literally reached out to the sponsors in their area and said, I have this kid who's graduating. This is how much credit he brings over. Uh, this is what he's been doing. Uh, basically, this, this is his resume of work that he's been doing. Uh, and they companies have said, we will take him as an apprentice, him or her as an apprentice. So we've seen some great success in the bridging. I would love to see more. But that becomes the, the side of it where uh, we look even internally in our own bureau and make sure that we continue to break down those silos between YA um, and registered apprenticeship, uh, even within our own bureau. One of the things you mentioned as well is the alignment of curriculum. And so, you know, there has been a disconnect of registered apprenticeship as a Department of Labor program and kind of separate in a way from uh, the community college and four-year universities and Department of Education programs. And so as you're going into these high schools and you're doing pre-apprenticeship and youth apprenticeship, uh, are is are the individual school districts taking the registered apprenticeship curriculum and uh, giving credence to it? Or are your RA programs accepting the Department of Education curriculum that has already been developed by different CTE programs? So we've done, we've done a little bit of on the registered apprenticeship side. Obviously, those, uh, those, that curriculum uh, is built by the Wisconsin Technical College System. So in partnership with, with them, as well as the industry, uh, we hold DACOM to find out what's going to work best for that industry to find out really what the, the objectives are and what the actual tasks are going to be completed in that industry. And when we look at the, the youth side, there has been ability as well with their curriculum to focus on dual enrollment. And dual enrollment here in the state of Wisconsin uh, really focuses on those youth participating in technical college-level courses during the course of their uh, youth apprenticeship program. A challenge we face there is that dual enrollment is uh, costly. And for our youth apprenticeship consortium here in the state of Wisconsin, they receive about $900 per youth served, and that's legislated from the state legislature. And when we look at the, the opportunity to do dual enrollment, someone has to cover the rest of that cost. So some districts have been good in partnership, maybe with the tech college or with their financial structure, um, where they receive funding from other sources to be able to offer that, that dual enrollment. But for those that don't, they're really participating in the, uh, the curriculum that's created uh, throughout the school, the school board um, that is really focused on the area, the occupational areas. Uh, and, you know, most of the youth apprenticeship coordinators that are built in those schools uh, are multi-school district entities. And they have that regional YA coordinator who then gets support from that local coordinator and the school-based coordinators, depending on that, that design of that program. So they're really working with, you know, the opportunity for the curriculum that is, is delivered through the school district, through that local program that they're focusing on in the area. And so I heard you mention, Josh, that 
you know, sometimes there's an issue with funding around these programs. Have you all had any success in utilizing WIOA dollars uh, for any in-school youth pre-apprenticeship or youth apprenticeship programs? Unfortunately, we have not. And that is one thing as we continue to look at here in the state of Wisconsin at, at the innovation side of apprenticeship. We really tried to focus on where some of that opportunity lies here in, in our state. We've talked to some of our stakeholders. Um, we've talked to the Youth Apprenticeship Consortia, our Workforce Development Board, to really identify or try to identify where those opportunities exist. And it has been somewhat of a challenge just because we have not been at the table. And that was, I look at it from the, the apprenticeship side, we weren't at the table, not because we weren't invited, but we had not figured out how to really wrap apprenticeship and we all it together. Um, I've made that one of my uh, number one focuses is, is to partner with WIOA, find out those eligible criteria, work with our staff to continue to help support apprentices who may be WIOA eligible uh, to help them get the supportive services they need. But as it comes down to the in-school youth, uh, that has just not been an area that we have focused on. Uh, it is an area that we plan to focus on. We're applying for the Youth Apprenticeship Readiness Grant, and it is an area that I am putting heavy focus on with grant dollars or even without grant dollars because there's such an opportunity there to get these in-school and out-of-school youth really connected to the workforce uh, much faster than they have been, but to also support those stakeholders who work with WIOA eligible uh, youth help support them grow their program as well and, and show a success rate for them also. And so you mentioned out of school youth or as we like to call it the opportunity youth. And so have you developed any strategies uh, to reach out to the opportunity youth? Because obviously the opportunity youth creates a great opportunity to add diversity to program. And so if you developed any strategies, what are some of those strategies that you've developed to reach out to Opportunity We have not created those strategies in the sense of actually participating and delivering those strategies uh, from the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards side. We have done it uh, organically in partnership with our Workforce Development Board, with some of our certified pre-apprenticeship programs who also, uh, I, I know for one in, in the Milwaukee area, they are a certified pre-apprenticeship program. And then when they graduate from that, they go to youth build. So we've seen opportunity there for those, those youth, those opportunity youth. But we haven't created a full-blown strategy to address uh, that population to really help them become qualified to get into registered apprenticeship outside of certified pre-apprenticeship programs. And what we've noticed with some of them in a revamping of those that I've, I've targeted, many of our pre-apprenticeship programs uh, they don't do in, they, they do not conduct intentional recruitment. And what happens is we get individuals who come through those programs and they're not ready to go into registered apprenticeship because it's just not what they expected. And many of those programs do target those youth between, I'd say between 18 and 27 is what we've seen. The age range that are targeted mostly in those certified pre-apprenticeship programs but we haven't created any specific strategy behind targeting those youth. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely, as you mentioned, 
integrating registered apprenticeship with WIOA and reaching those opportunity youth is something that everyone is looking at uh, expanding in and doing better in. I think one of the ways that to reach the opportunity youth could be summer programs sometimes. Have you all looked at maybe any short term? I know you talked about your pre-apprenticeship programs really being upgrading of skills. Have you all looked at using summer programs to do pre-apprenticeship for some of these opportunity youth? We have, we've had a couple uh, programs reach out to us that really work with that population and they want to know how to become certified pre-apprenticeship programs. The number one sticking point for those uh, programs that reach out is the money, the cost. Uh, many of the programs say, hey, we have this great opportunity. We have these, we want to train these these youth to do this. You know, we have this curriculum set up. And then they say, can you give us the money so we can conduct the program? And for us, when we look at it in some of our grants, we have grant dollars in there uh, tied in with the Workforce Development Board. But that isn't in all areas as it pertains to the grant. And you know what? In the grants, when we have that, when we say what our budget is and what we're doing, we can't defer from that to say, "Hey, you know what? This program needs thirty thousand dollars. Let's just give them thirty thousand dollars to conduct the pre-apprenticeship program." So we've worked hard to try to identify how they can partner with other entities or even get them connected to the workforce development board. But that has been one of the challenges we face: is the ability to fund those programs who have a captive audience who's ready to be trained. They have a curriculum. They may have an occupation that they're targeting. They just don't have the funding to run the program. It has been a thought of ours, though, as we look through the Youth Apprenticeship Readiness Grant to create those strategies, so much so as one of the challenges you face with FERPA is finding out uh, individuals, if, if they are really, if they fall under WIOA eligibility criteria. Well, we looked at how our staff or how grant staff can really get out and drum up business by talking about this, advertising registered apprenticeship, advertising youth apprenticeship, advertising the opportunities to really to put a face on apprenticeship that has never been there before for those populations. So we've looked at that as a strategy moving forward. Uh, as I said, when we, when we submit this grant, we are focusing on how we successfully bridge those youth apprentices into registered apprenticeship, and then how we can reach out to that 18 to 24, uh, the opportunity youth, uh, to really get them connected and get them supported. And I think that has been one of our challenges as well as the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards has not been connected to the entities who provide support services, nor have we known how to access those support services for our apprentices, pretty much because most apprentices uh, even first-year apprentices, I want to say their average wage is right around 15 or $16 an hour. And as you know, sometimes the, the wage, that wage being too high, automatically knocks them out of um, eligibility for services. So that's another challenge that we have faced and um, that we have seen because of the wage that it, it has not forced us to take a strong, hard look at how we integrate more. Because we feel like when we we have felt like when we look at it, someone is going to lose their eligibility, and there's really nothing we can do. Just you know, we're very happy that they found a family sustaining career wage. There's really nothing more we can do at that point. But that has changed. 
Now our focus has become, what about those who aren't making that $15? Or what about those who are making $15 an hour but are still facing childcare, transportation? They need tools. What about those individuals who really need assistance just to get through that first year or to get over that hump of their apprenticeship? I think that all of those are great things, Josh. And I know that you all will continue to do great work around opportunity youth and, and, and find ways to address those issues. Cause you know, I, I really think that there are two groups of opportunity. youth. You kind of have your 16 and 19 year olds who are recently graduated, uh, kind of still connected to uh, the education system. But then you kind of have your 20, 24 year olds who, you know, they may have went to college and didn't finish and, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out what to do with life. And it, it's hard to reach out to those opportunity youth sometimes. So uh, do you have any ideas on, on how you really reach that second group, those 20, 24 year olds? In my opinion, that outreach can be done in very different ways. So I'm going to think about it from the standpoint, I have a 20 year old son who went to college for one year and decided college was definitely not where he wanted to be. This is not his thing. So in, in essence, he falls right into that second group where he's just really floating around trying to figure out what it is he wants to do. Now, he has a decent job working, uh, making, you know, obviously when you're living at home, you don't need to make, you know, a whole lot of money. But he has, he has a job making enough money to take care of his necessities and the things he needs. Um, as a parent, obviously, I would focus on it's time to start doing some career exploration and let's get you connected. What I realized, though, is if it's not for me being his father and being able to explain that, he would have no clue how or what even exists as an opportunity. So because of that, it's driven me to even identify in our own bureau, our recruitment strategies when we start to talk about youth, when we start to talk about, and when I mean youth, I mean those, you're talking about that 20 to 24. How do we target them? How do we get them involved so that we can lower our average age of an apprentice, which is 27 years old? How do we target them? And for some, you know, you mentioned like the summer programs. Uh, we have done some outreach. Once again, the apprenticeship training representatives had uh, no way to fit that really into their their daily work because their the apprenticeship training representatives uh, main focus is regulatory work. They're building the contracts uh, for apprentices. They're building the the sponsors program. So they're really on the regulatory side, and that type of uh, granular outreach uh, just was not a part of their daily work. We are looking at now with the navigators on board, and they've already presented some ideas as well how to get directly involved with those populations. And one such way, you know, we look at uh, in MPS, they have a group called the Black and Latino Male Achievement Group. Um, and it is, it's in the Milwaukee Public School System. We have looked at them as a potential uh, target for us to get in and educate them about registered apprenticeship. Although youth apprenticeship does exist in Milwaukee Public School System, uh, this gives us much more of an intentional focus on assisting these uh, young black and brown men with finding sustainable careers in apprenticeship. Uh, we've also looked at how we, our marketing, the marketing that we've created, so much so in the state of Wisconsin, most of our marketing was focused on the, the side of the employer. 
So we focused, worked with the employer, talked about the employer. You know, we re- we want to recruit more employers into register apprenticeship because without the employers, we can have a million people lined up, and without the employers, they don't have jobs. But now we've looked at our focus as well as marketing registered apprenticeship to the applicant, to the applicant pool that we are seeking. And most of that comes, to be honest with you, Joseph, word of mouth. It becomes working directly with our board, or it becomes one of my staff has a connection to the community, or it becomes somebody heard something about apprenticeship and now they want us to come in and do a presentation. So we haven't found any specific strategy or ideas. We're definitely open to them and we would welcome if other states have ideas on how to address or some successful strategies that they've had. But to date, outside of a few you know, opportunities here and there that we've, we've targeted, we've not done anything highly successful to target that age group. Yeah, Josh. So I want to thank you for your time today. And then thank you for doing this podcast with us today. You definitely had some insightful thoughts and innovative things that you all are doing in Wisconsin. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with before we depart? Uh, First, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to share some of the innovative things we're doing here in Wisconsin, uh, as well as uh, the opportunity for any other states that hear this or any other entities that hear this and have uh, ideas that they would love to share with us. Um, I'm definitely open for that. We're very excited here in Wisconsin to move into this, this next phase of registered apprenticeship. As I said, a, a very strong tradition was built and I'm hoping to come in and build that, uh, that innovation level here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to really breaking down all barriers or all silos and really working towards this idea that everyone here in the state of Wisconsin, as well as I'm hoping all over the country, but we really here focus on how we get that individual from where they are unskilled all the way up to the skilled worker. And that really does nothing but enrich the life of that person who gets involved, but it also enriches the life of our industry here in the state of Wisconsin. We have to have those talented individuals to replace the talented individuals who are retiring, and I firmly believe that uh, Wisconsin Apprenticeship has the answers for that, whether it's through certified pre-apprenticeship, youth apprenticeship, or through registered apprenticeship. So I thank you again for your time, uh, and I definitely look forward to, to hearing more, and, uh, and I'm definitely open to any other conversations that you may want to have around it. Well, thank you again, Josh, and thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off.